Before we get into another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast, we want to say thank you to all our listeners. We appreciate your prayers, support, and encouragement. We also want to send a special thanks to our monthly financial partners. We could not do what we do without you. We have been able to equip college students at historically black colleges and universities and facilitate seminars for pastors and leaders because of your financial support. If the Jude 3 Project has been a blessing to you, please consider becoming a monthly partner. No gift is too small or large, whether you give one time or monthly. We appreciate it. You can give online at jude3project.com by hitting the donate button or by mail by sending your gift to jude3project at P.O. Box 26206, Jacksonville, Florida, 32226. Thanks again. Now let's join the Jude 3 Project podcast. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Jude 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jude 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And today I'm joined by another special guest, uh, Cam Triggs. Cam is uh, a part of the Jude 3 team, so I don't know if you're technically a special guest. <laughs> but <laughs> you haven't been on the podcast in a while, so welcome, Cam. What's up, Lisa? I'm glad to be back. <laughs> I've yeah, been all in ghosts for a while now. Yes, yeah. So uh, for those who don't know who you are, uh, give a little bit of background. Yeah, um, as you already stated, I serve as a lead pastor here at um, a church called Grace Alive in Orlando, Florida. Um, We're a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church, kind of how we like to define ourselves. Um, And uh, besides that, I'm the husband to Tamara Triggs. um, And then also um, I'm the father of uh, a baby boy named uh, Cam, who's a toddler, teenager. And then also we just had a baby girl as well named Karis. So um, that's why how I would define myself in terms of apologetics, just linked up with you and really passionate about what you three has been doing and continue to do um, in the African-American context or urban context. And I'm excited about what 2018 is going to bring. So I'm glad to be one of the contenders when time avails itself. Awesome. Awesome. And if y'all want to know who baby Cam is, look at my social media. He's all over there. Oh, <laughs> uh, today we're going to talk about an apologetic for Christmas. Uh, this is uh, Christmas and I can't believe it came this fast. I can't believe Christmas is is coming up in a couple of days. Uh, I keep forgetting. Uh, but we, we want to talk about that today. And Cam is going to answer a few questions for us. Uh, the first question we have for you, Cam, is the story of Jesus, uh, the story of Jesus virgin birth, just a retelling of ancient mythology. Mm. Yeah, I think that's an important question, especially kind of like uh, for our audience, because um, people from various uh, cults or offshoots of Christianity or um, even uh, certain streams of um, the conscious movement would say that, you know, 
they've uh, probably been to that first world religious course and they've heard um, their religious professor or somebody from their philosophy class kind of offshoot some of these particular um, myths that, you know, uh, basically Christianity is a copycat religion, has been stealing from all these other religions. Um, and I would say it's not, you know, Christianity really doesn't get the benefit of the doubt in terms of its uniqueness. Um, I think there's some artificial uh, similarities on the surface, but when you really get to the heart of it, um, actually it's it's very, very different. I, if you don't mind, Lisa, I just wanted to read Matthew chapter one. Yes. Uh, because sometimes I feel like in our apologetic conversations, we, we remove ourselves so far from the text that a lot of the things that are just blatant within the narrative itself don't get dealt with. Mm -hmm. uh, so Matthew one, um, starting with verse 18, um, it says the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. It's like it's telling us uh, how it actually came about. Mm -hmm. uh, after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, um, it was discovered before they came together. That's a reference to sexual relations before they had any type of intimacy and before they were married, that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So right there, just in verse 18, we see that there's something miraculous about how Jesus Christ is coming into the world absent of um, sexual relations between a man and a woman. Uh, verse 19 says, so her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly, uh, being very gracious. He would have had a lot of leeway, according to the, the law of that time, to punish her. Um, but being a righteous man, a gracious man, a merciful man, um, he decides to divorce her secretly because in his mind, he doesn't have the revelation. He is thinking some type of sexual infidelity has taken place. In um, verse 20 says, but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because of what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Um, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Verse 23 um, says, uh, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And uh, quoting Isaiah 7, 14, kind of taking this passage that is going towards the Messiah and then demonstrating um, that this Messiah is going to save his people from their sins. And you see this just from the text, virgin birth. Um, it's not necessarily anything that is a, a rebranded narrative. You have two unique characters here, um, Joseph and Mary, you have a unique context. And so even there, it's, uh, it's blatant within the text that there's something unique about this narrative of Jesus Christ coming into the world. Mm -hmm. Do you know what parallels people try to draw with this narrative um, in, in, from mythology? Yeah, so there's just several different myths um, that people typically uh, pull from in terms of mythology. Um, and you see uh, a common uh, reoccurrence of typically um, this divine person divine it's like a person's half divine half human mm -hmm. um, and so like one of the most common examples we can think of through popular culture is hercules right mm -hmm. um you know we know his dad is zeus and then his 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 mother is human and therefore um he is like half god half man um and if you are even just you know somewhat schooled in christian theology you know that's not what actually we believe about jesus christ we believe um jesus christ is 100 percent man and 100% God. It wasn't between half God and half woman. It's completely on God. It's only through Mary that he has the biological capabilities to become man. Um, and so uh, I just wanted to see like some interesting things that's unique about Christ Christianity in its narrative here. 
is it's firmly set in history. It's not a galaxy far, far away. Um, it's not some type of narrative of a fairy tale like a lot of mythology where it has a lot of fictional characters that are kind of interplaying with one another. Um, Matthew 2 verse 1 states Jesus was born in Judea. That gives us geography that we can check. Um, it tells us in the time of King Herod. It gives us chron uh, chronology even there. So even talking about this um, narrative, it's, it's, it's clear to the biblical writers, this is not a myth. This is something that happened in history. And you can go and check the facts. You can go and check the receipts and see that Jesus Christ came as a person. And this is the um, things or circumstances that were surrounding his birth, but it's not a myth. He's in the context of historical figures and um, archaeology and all these other factors demonstrate that. Um, the other thing for us um, as Christians is it's necessary for our theology. Um, it's necessary for Christ to be born of a virgin um, in the way that we think about Christian ministry, in the way that we think about Christ being the savior of the world. Um, he, here in the text we read, he's going to save um, the people from their sins, right? Um, and he can only do that if he's sinless. Because if he were a sinner, if he were to come and be sinful, he would have to deal with that punishment on his own. And we see that Jesus Christ comes as a man to redeem man, but at the same time, him being God is also able to able to live this um, victorious life over sin, keeping all of the law on our behalf and being able to live the life that we should have lived and then be a, a substitute to die the death that we should have died. And so we see that Jesus Christ has supernatural origin, but he's yet fully God, fully man. Um, it's what Christians um, talk about the hypostatic union, that Christ has come into the world to save us from our sins. And so ultimately for Christians, we believe in a virgin birth in a manger because there's still an empty tomb at Easter. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's a powerful point for us, because I think if we have our, our friends who are atheists or agnostics that are listening, it just seems completely um, outrageous that we would believe in a virgin birth, because we know through science that how these particular things happen. Um, but that's only if you have the presupposition that God doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. um, if you have the presupposition that God does exist, and this, as C.S. Lewis says, the whole world is the theater of his redemption and that God is working and living. And we think about the origins of life and you see that there might be philosophical arguments about the origin of life and intelligent design. And if you presuppose that there is a God who is the creator of all life, then obviously it's possible for him to do a virgin birth to redeem the whole world. And then more amazing, we don't merely believe in a virgin birth. We believe that somebody got up from the dead three days later. Um, mm -hmm. It was a borrowed tomb. The reason they called it a borrowed tomb because he was going to give it back and he got up and that tomb is still empty. And so we look at this manger in a very different way. Um, and so I think it's interesting when you compare this against the myths um, or even some of the uh, claims of atheists that this is a very unique case. Um, this is something that I think it was hard for Mary to believe as we see in the scripture, it was something hard for Joseph to believe. And God had to affirm that with the appearing of angels. And it's hard for even people in the day of Jesus to believe. Um, any other things that kind of come to your mind that people kind of wrestle with, with thinking about the virgin birth? Well, when I was, when, when you were talking about that, I think it's important uh, to think through what my next question would be. What do scholars say? Um, because when you think about mythology, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to have the, the, uh, the evidence like we have for um, Jesus right. and actually walking the earth. Right. What, what are scholars saying about the existence of Jesus? That's good. Uh, let, let me back up to um, kind of just doubling down on the history of this narrative versus myth, right? Um, John Frame, he writes in the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, he says, there is no clear parallel to the notion of a virgin birth in pagan literature at all. 
only births resulting from intercourse between God and a woman resulting in half divine and half human. Um, and so even there is talking about it being completely different. And the biblical text itself is still tied to history, um, to the historical Jesus. Um, in uh, John chapter eight, um, there's this kind of notion that you kind of get from the text that it, people know about the origins of, of Jesus. And it seems to be a scandal throughout his whole life. Um, and they kind of uh, almost look at Jesus Christ as a bastard son. Um, they know about the scandal and they criti- criticize him for it. John chapter eight, he calls, um, you know, some of the uh, people during that time are saying, our father is Abraham. And he says, your father isn't Abraham, uh, because if he if he was, then you would follow what God is saying. And then they accuse him uh, in a very interesting way. In verse 41, they said, we weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. And which is just like a very peculiar response out of nowhere. Um, like they're throwing shade out of nowhere. They're throwing shade towards his origin, who he is. And the way Jesus vindicates himself uh, is in vo- verse 46. He says, who among you can convict me of any sin? Which, again, is intricately tied to the virgin birth. He's saying I'm not of merely human origin, that I was born not of sinful blood. I was conceived of the Holy Spirit. I am fully human, fully God. But the way that you can actually verify this is check my record. And I would say if, if you look at religions, if you look at atheists, agnostics, if you look at other cults, very few would be um, as brash to convict the character of Jesus Christ. Most would say he's a prophet. He's a teacher. He has some great things he did. He was sacrificial. Um, and we as Christians are actually acknowledging this, but tying it to his origin. So even in that regard, when we think about the existence of Jesus, one of the things that stands out for all of us is that most people agree across religions and across assessments of what he taught, what he stood for and how he lived his life. He was a sinless human being. They could not, not find any wrong before him. Even when he stood before Herod, even when he stood before Pilate, there was no wrongdoing that they can convict him of. Um, they had to lie and cheat about that. Um, and so in, in terms of like, you know, his historicity, I know a lot of people kind of question, um, you know, that Jesus is an invention, that he actually didn't exist. Um, I've seen videos of people from um, different communities that say, you know, Jesus was uh, just a white invention. Um, mm-hmm. that, you know, Jesus uh, is kind of just a figment of everybody's imagination. And I think even there, um, it's hard for uh, a, a person to make those accusations to be taken seriously in academia. Um, first and foremost, like for Christians, we have the internal evidence of the New Testament uh, or uh, even the Old Testament. You think about the Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that are all pointing towards um, who, who he's going to be, who's going to anticipate his coming, where he's going to be born. All those are very precise um, that are hard to actually, um, you know, um, kind of dissuade all that evidence. But then also the New Testament. Um, we have to ask ourselves, why would the New Testament go to great lengths to, to name the places Jesus traveled to, to name the people that Jesus healed? to name the people that Jesus was interviewed by, um, even to the point of his death. And so you have to ask yourself, is Pontius Pilate having imaginary conversations? Is Annas and Caiaphas, who was demonstrated by archaeology and historians, um, to be um, historical figures? Are they having imaginary conversations? Um, is Paul, this historical person who's, who studied under a historical rabbi, um, is he having historical uh, um, these imaginations? It's, it's clear even from the New Testament that Jesus um, was actually um, in history, and then even scholars uh, look at history. Um, there's uh, 42 sources within 150 years of Jesus' death, which mention his existence. And those are people who are Jewish and secular. Um, 
There are people who are disagreeing with Jesus Christ's life and ministry, ultimately, but none of them have ever come out um, until recently to say that he didn't exist. It's typically some type of, um, you know, uh, pseudo academia, people who can't really check their facts or or check their sources. Um, There's a lot of people who have affirmed Jesus Christ um, existed. And then secondly, to think that he's a white invention. One, um, a lot of these people who are affirming his existence, this is before the black and white constructs that we realize here in America. And so it would be ironic that, you know, they're anticipating thousands of years of development and we're going to discover this new world and all these other type of social constructs that are going to create race will evolve. Um, that, that wasn't in their mind to think of that. Uh, and then secondly, Jesus would have been uh, really the poorest invention for a white person to construct because this is still the same Jesus Christ of Nat Turner. Um, this is still the same Jesus Christ that Martin Luther King Jr. believed in. This is still the Jesus Christ that has empowered the black church in, in its pursuit of civil rights and, and biblical justice. And so I think there's a hint of this new conscious movement that's a part of the millennial generation, having what uh, C.S. Lewis said, chronological snobbery, um, where we think we are a lot wiser and smarter than our ancestors and that, you know, we were all deceived into believing this Jesus. But as we've covered here at the Jew three project, and I think it should be a dead objection. um, This is not a white man's religion over and over. I mean, I don't know how many resources we have on this website about that. And it's, um, it's getting to the point where I I hope we just rip that out of the mouths of every objector because it's, it's really just being proven over and over again. That's not true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, and, and no matter how much stuff we post, we still get it. I don't. <laughs> They're not don't reading. Read They're not reading. <laughs> They're not listening to the post. You're not listening to the podcast. Some don't because uh, one guy messaged the other day and he was, I was like, well, did you watch it? And he was like, no, I need the cliff notes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't help you. Right. I can't help you. Right. Um, so uh, when we think about Christmas and we think about the birth of Jesus, People will say, well, how are y'all celebrating on December 25th? Jesus wasn't born on uh, December 25th. What, what should we say to that? Yeah, I think that's a um, I think that's something we should take serious as Christians. You know, I know a lot of people who don't take it serious enough. And I think that oftentimes we brush people to the to the side and are kind of just content in our cultural Christianity. Um, but I would say that most well-meaning Christians are people who are sincere about their faith and have thought about these things. Um, December 5th is merely a time to pause to recognize the reality of what we celebrate every day as Christians. Mm-hmm. And he uh, meant December 25th. You said December 5th. Yeah, December 25th. Yeah, I meant December 25th. Um, you know, I don't think for us, we we are worshiping um, a particular holiday. We're worshiping the person that holiday represents. Um, and so for us, it's it's a no-brainer. For us, it's something that we do every day, whether or not the world would recognize it or whether or not it was an official federal holiday. Um, we wake up Sunday morning, every every Sunday morning, representing Christ as resurrected. He came in a manger to live and die in our place. And so I think that we as Christians should be challenged to not follow a lot of the commercialism that is following in this Christmas time. We shouldn't be following a lot of the materialism. Uh, we need to be um, aware that a lot of those things that are not pointing towards Christ can lead our hearts astray. Um, there's a way that we can be in the world and not of it. And I think that's how we should be as Christians. Um, December 25th, there's, um, I would recommend this book. Um, it's, it's called, uh, 
the origins of Christmas. I mean, it just talks about all of the different dates, all of the different um, times that we uh, come up with December 25th. Um, it's always been a debate in the early church. Um, one of the things that you'll learn from this book, and even if you begin to research online, um, a common objection we always hear is Constantine did it. It seems like everything, Constantine invented everything about Christianity. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, in, in some regards, I, I think he has more power than God than a lot of the people can actually give him credit for. But if you just look out through the history, it was it was actually um, several different sects that looked at December 25th as a possible date. There was disagreement on whether or not they should even celebrate it because they saw birthdays as a pagan holiday. But for us as Christians, um, I think it's significant that if you can drive down the streets, um, a Christian represents um, this Christmas season, season with the nativity scene. And it's because ultimately the, the greatest gift has come, and that is Jesus Christ. And God doesn't just tell us how to give during the season. He showed us how to give. You know, John three sixteen, God gave his only son. He gave his um, sacrificial purpose um, through his son to save us from our sins. And, and that's what we really are here to um, celebrate. You know, it's not about getting a new iPhone um, during this time. As we find out, they're slowing down our iPhones purposely. Uh, out here. Um, But, you know, it's really about Christ. And I think for Christians, we take a strategic time to pause and and join the world and tell them the real season that this joy and spirit of Christmas is is going around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good that you you showed that book, too, because a lot of people will, their their response to this uh, argument is, I've seen that all throughout this season, a meme about December 25th. Right and a pagan holiday. And while there are some pagan aspects that have been added to uh, the meaning of Christmas that we, we, we acknowledge, Mm -hmm. uh, we also acknowledge that anything can be added to something, but that doesn't mean that it takes away its true meaning. And that doesn't mean we can't celebrate its true meaning. So um, would you have anything else to add to that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think a helpful way that a lot of Christian missiologists have helped people think through culture is that there's always things that we can reject. Um, There's things that are blatantly sinful. There's things that blatantly go against the word of God. Um, And we as Christians, we have to reject those things because we were bought with a price and our lives are not our own. Um, Then there are things that we can redeem. Um, There are particular seasons. There are particular um, avenues of technology that we as Christians can take and we can redeem them for the purposes of God, for the advancement of his kingdom, to get to really um, the true purpose of us to live as Christians in of this world, but not of this world. Um, and so, you know, we can we can uh, reject, we can redeem, and then we can receive. There's some things that come from this culture that um, you don't go against scripture that we can receive, even though it's not necessarily something that we came up with. And for us as Christians, we need to think through the, these things in a way that is mindful, in a way that's considerate, in a way that's winsome, and at the same time, be able to be challenged to say that we always need to go back to the text. Uh, we need to always go back to the Bible. We need to be people of the book. We need to be Bereans to check and see whether or not what these people say are true. Um, and so for us, I think that's where we often see cultural Christianity go in the wrong field to think that, man, Christmas season is not about Christ. Um, and when we think about how we spend our budgets, how much is going towards mission, how much is going towards justice, how much is going towards those who are on the Jericho Road. Um, and that's something that we need to consider because I do think that Christmas has become so commercialized that we can lose sight of that. Um, but for us, December 5th, uh, December 25th is not just a date um, that we've actually 
all cohesively agree as a movement that this was when Christ was born. Um, it's disagreements according to that. Um, uh, but this is a time that we can pause and celebrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if you're going to reject Christianity on the basis of Christian B- Christmas, you feel like Christmas, Christmas is pagan. And right. that's more reason to, yeah. re- to reject, uh, Christianity. Right. Right. And I will say, and that, that's another great point that you make is that is, this is not something that is in our confessional statements. This is not something that's in the book. Um, this is not something that is, you know, commanded or mandated by God. So you can go without celebrating this particular date, but as a Christian, you cannot go without celebrating Christmas. And I'm, you know, being a play on words there. I think there's a difference between what actually Christmas is and what December 25th is. Um, for us, we, like I said, we celebrate this day every day and the incarnation is something that we have to pause and celebrate for. And the big thing that I think we realize during this Christmas season is it it's not merely just this vertical re- reconciliation we have experienced. It's a vertical rec- reconciliation that leads to our horizontal reconciliation on how we honor one another and, and pay tribute to one another, demonstrating the appreciation for what Christ has done for us by reconciling us back to the Father. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think that's what yeah so definitely this book um if people want to just look at it it's called the origins of christmas joseph f kelly it just gives a lot of historical account of what christmas is how it came about um and so i would highly recommend this as a resource in a book um two books that were essential to um my research talking about the virgin birth and how it's different from mythology um one is um, it's a standard text called uh, Christian Apologetics, um, uh, and I would highly recommend this, a comprehensive comprehensive case for biblical faith. Um, Douglas uh, Grupius has uh, authored this. He is a, a apologetics professor at Denver Seminary. Um, it's a fairly thick book, as you can see, but it has uh, very few places. I've picked up an apologetic book and seen an apologetic treatment of the virgin birth, and he tackles that and talks about um you know, the arguments that it was just uh, reincarnated mythology. And then um, another great article is in here, um, the Baker Encyclopedia of uh, Christian Apologetics by Norman Geisler. And he has a full treatment of not merely the virgin birth, but he also attacks a lot of the other mythology um, uh, criticisms that people have towards Christianity, uh, being a copycat religion, um, even in terms of some of the Old Testament errors where they copied by people surrounding them. He has articles in that book that tackle that. So I would highly recommend um, those three resources. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I'm on uh, uh, Instagram at TriggsCam, T-R-I-G-G-S-C-A-M, and then on Twitter at Cam Triggs. Um, and so they could just look me up, Cameron Triggs, um, on social media or I'm on Facebook and that way just type in my name. Um, and then in gracealive.church, they can find more information on how to get, um, in touch with our church and our staff there if they have any uh, particular questions as well. And yeah. what would be your, what would be your, not just the, not just the, church doors, but our listeners as well, as well, on apologetics. Well, I would say, um, investigate for yourself. Um, one of the things that I'm realizing as we have been doing Jude 3 and just watching people um, engage in these conversations is that there is a lot of poor research done. There's a lot of 
assumptions, presuppositions that are formed around sound bites, YouTube clips, and memes. And you cannot base your worldview off memes. Um, you need to go and find out what the scholars are saying, assess for yourself, do it in community where people are challenging your blind spots, and then ultimately think about what presuppositions you have and how those need to be challenged. Um, I would say that to my friends who are atheists or agnostics. I would say that to my friends um, who are outside the, the faith of Christianity. Um, just really have some more thoughtful conversations about what you believe and why. And I think that's what we're doing here at Jew3. I hope that people would see that um, from your guests, Lisa, and from our engagement, um, that we are tackling these questions. We're engaging these questions. Um, and we don't have all the answers, but we believe we found the person who is the answer. And that is Jesus Christ. And I think that if you have any objections, um, that you have to study that person and show and demonstrate to us how Jesus Christ is not who he has said he is. So that would be my last word. I'll leave to them. That's the season. season. Ultimately, that's ultimately that's where we're celebrating. Jesus Christ is who he said he is. And the reason we smile at that baby in the manger is because the tomb is still empty at Easter. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, King. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well so thank you so much for tuning in also remember we have our bible engagement app in partnership with back to the bible to help you get better engaged in the bible every single day you take a survey it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you bible verses based on those so it's a great app you can download the app by searching in your app store or google play searching g3 project and it'll be right there for you so thank you again remember if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver you can do so on our website or by mail just go to g3project.com hit that donate tab and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online we appreciate you and i'm so so thankful for you God bless. And remember, here at the Jupe 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.